Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be finishing chapter 12 this morning, going through verses 18 through 29. Now, as I was preparing, and as you can see, this sermon is titled The Two Mountains. I picked that title in the middle of the week. By the end of the week, I thought of a different title, but it was too late, so we're just going to go with The Two Mountains. However, if you wanted a subtitle, it would be the last hurrah and the last warning. And I say the last hurrah because here at the end of chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is really going to wrap up all of his theological arguments right here in these last few verses. And he's also going to give one final warning. And so if you need a subtitle, the last hurrah and the last warning. However, the two mountains is the the other title that we are going to go with, and you will see that in just a second. Now, as we have gone through the book of Hebrews, the author has over and over again compared the new covenant that we have in Jesus to the old covenant, and he's compared them to show us the greatness of the new covenant and how the new covenant is a far better covenant. But just to help us, he's going to do that once again here in our text today, but I think it's good for us to remind ourselves just a little bit of the history of the old covenant. Now, if we remember our our biblical history, we will remember that God called Abraham to be the father of his covenant nation And he gave that promise to him that he would become a great nation and that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that covenant and that promise went from his son to his grandson, Jacob. And then through a a crazy set of circumstances, Jacob and his 12 sons all end up in the land of Egypt. And they go from being a large family to being a great nation of a million or more people. But not only that, they become not honored guests in Egypt, but they become slaves and they become forced laborers for the Egyptians. And the people cry out to God and ask God to deliver them. And God sends his servant Moses to be the agent of deliverance for the people. And through God's wonders and the plagues and the signs and through traveling through the midst of the parted Red Sea, God delivers his people miraculously and in a glorious way. And then God brings the people to Mount Sinai, which is the first mountain that we'll talk about today. But I just want to to read for you, before we get into our text, a short passage from the book of Exodus that talks to us and sets the scene for us of what happened at Mount Sinai. And so in Exodus chapter 19, it says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. 
The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And as Moses went up to the top of that mountain, God gave him his commandments, and he gave him the law. And that law and that covenant that we would call the the Mosaic covenant or the covenant given through uh, God and through his agent Moses was the covenant that Israel lived under from that time until the time of Christ. And so it's that covenant that we need to be reminded of as we look at our text this morning. So if you will, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we come before you I pray that you would bring us to our knees in reverence and awe before you this morning. Father God, you are a consuming fire. Father, we thank you that you have given us such great promises where we can approach you through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that as we humbly look at your word this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would teach us through your word. Father, I pray that you would teach me. 
Father, speak through me this morning, and may, may we all be encouraged, and may we be humbled, and may we be in awe because of your greatness, and your power, and your holiness, but also your mercy and the great gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father, be with us this morning and fill us with your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you are taking notes, this text will break down for us in three different sections. In the first section, we're going to talk about Mount Sinai or the the shaking mountain. In the next section, we're going to talk about the unshakable mountain, Mount Zion. And then the last section will be the final warning and the shaking of all things. But first, let's look at the shaking mountain or the the trembling mountain, Mount Sinai. Now we need to, as we look at this, we need to remember that the text starts out, for you have not come to what may be touched. He's about to give us a description of what happened at Mount Sinai, and through that, a description of the law and the Old Covenant. And he's reminding us right here at the beginning, this is not what you have come to. I'm going to describe this to you, and it is a frightening and fearful thing, but remember, that's not where you are at. The other thing about Mount Sinai that we need to know is that Mount Sinai is something that could be touched. We've come to something that cannot be touched. Mount Sinai could be touched. And what the author is talking about there is is as the Israelites came to this mountain, there really was God in his presence coming down in a fire. There really was smoke and thunder and lightning, and they really could hear the sound of a trumpet blast. This was something that they could physically experience. They could see it with their eyes. They could feel the ground shaking beneath their feet, and they could hear the loud trumpet blast and the loud voice of God. All of this would have given the the people of Israel, and we can see in the text, it gave them a great sense of fear. They were terrified. They were terrified for for all of these reasons and for hearing the voice of God. And they were, they were terrified. And we will see they're terrified because of God and his holiness and his power and might and majesty. Sinful human beings like them and like us cannot stand in his presence. It was a terrible thing to behold. Just if you think about the physical realities of what, ha- what is happening and what's described for us, it would be like being at the foot of an erupting volcano. That would be terrifying. And that's just really scratching the surface for us of what this would have actually been like because God is far more powerful and far more terrible than any erupting volcano. But it also, it shows us, and as this experience showed the people and as the the giving of the law would show them, is that the people of God were, they were sinful people. The Israelites were a sinful people and there was, they were separated. They could not come near. When God spoke, they begged, don't speak to us anymore. And back in Exodus, we see, they said, we, you, God, you have to put someone in between us. Talk to Moses. Talk to Moses and then let Moses give us the messages because we can't, 
We can't stand to hear your voice. We are, we are going to be destroyed. We cannot stand us to be in your presence. What's, what's interesting about this is before the passage that I read in Exodus, the, the Bible says that the Lord actually commanded them to consecrate themselves. For three days, they were to be consecrated. They were to set apart. They were to make sure that they did nothing and touched nothing unholy. They were to be clean. But even in their ritual purity, they came before the mountain of God and they were in terror. Now this God, this mighty and powerful God if we think that, oh yeah, the Israelites, they were, they were sinful and wicked people. Just look a couple chapters later in Exodus. They worshiped that, that golden calf. And if we think that maybe, oh, we can, we can be better than them. We can be better. God will accept us. I can do enough good things. God, God will accept me. Look at, look at verse 21 where it says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Not one of us today is more holy than Moses. Now, even, even if one of us in this room could say, you know, I have, I have followed God's law. I mean, Moses was a murderer. I wasn't that. But Moses was the hero of the Old Testament for the people of Israel. And if even Moses trembles at the sight of God in all of his glory and his wrath, it doesn't even matter if we think we are more holy because God and his majesty and his might is so much more holy and so much more righteous than we could ever be. Even our, our best works are nothing and disgusting in the sight of God and his holiness. And it's kind of like this, this image that we're getting is of this separation between God and, and man. It's, it's it's almost like if you were to walk into a place and you were really, really underdressed, uh, and, but you didn't know it until you walked in, and, but then you couldn't leave. Like if you went into a really fancy restaurant, but you thought it was like a Chili's or something like that, and you were on jeans and a T-shirt, you would want nothing more than to hide and not be noticed until you could get out and leave. And, and that's all you could do. If you couldn't leave, you just have to sit there like, please, nobody look at me. Just, I need to get away. You guys are all really nicely dressed and I really shouldn't be here. Multiply that by a million and more and you're not even close to what a holy God and what the effect he has on sinful human beings like you and I. That's why even Adam and Eve in the garden, when God was walking through the garden after they sinned, they hid themselves. So this entire event at Sinai and the law and the covenants that came afterwards were just there to show us you are a sinful people and you cannot be in the presence of a holy God. The problem with that old covenant, it was a good covenant, but that old covenant gave the people no solution, no lasting solution to their problem. It did not deal with their sin in any lasting way. Well, thankfully, that is not what we have come to. That is not what the people of Israel, that is not what the people, the audience of the book of Hebrews had come to. Instead, they had come to something else. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, Mount Zion, often in the Old Testament, would refer to the physical city of Jerusalem. But as you look through Psalms and the prophets, it does refer to Jerusalem. But you can also see in those that it's starting to refer to something more. And here in our text today, we are to see that Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, while Sinai was a physical thing and a physical experience that the people of Israel had, Zion is something that is not, it is heavenly. It is just as real as Sinai, but it is not something physical that we can reach out and touch. It is a spiritual reality. But that is what we have come to. We've come to the the city of living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We are a part, when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are brought into God's kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, not a kingdom of this earth. And look at who else is there. We see that not only are we a part of this new and heavenly Jerusalem, but there's also the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect. Those two descriptions are describing believers. They're describing people who know Jesus, people who are believers and who are written down in God's book for salvation. And for those, the firstborn who are enrolled, it's talking about those of us who are on earth now. And the amazing thing is, while at Sinai, it was one ethnic group, Israel, And God's covenant promises were just given to them. The covenant promises of the new covenant of Zion go way far and beyond just ethnic Israel, but it includes the whole world, everyone, everywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord and through Jesus Christ. So we are not just part of a single nation, but we have brothers and sisters in Christ that even though they may look different, even though they may speak a different language, even though they may live in a different place, we are their family and they are our family because we are all a part of God's spiritual kingdom that we have because of Jesus. We're not only joined to them Spiritually, we cannot be with them physically. We can be with each other, and this local church is amazing. That's why we have it, although we are gathered together greatly spiritually with the entire church throughout the world. But we are also joined together. We have come to a heavenly gathering of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those, that is those who have died, who are now in the presence of God in heaven, they are made perfect. We are not perfect now, but they who have passed away are perfect in the presence of God and in heaven. And we are joined together with them in God's kingdom. But we are also there with innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal gathering, they are there to celebrate and to rejoice. There is hope in this new covenant in Mount Sion. There is joy and and excitement and wonder. The old covenant had had fear and there was terror involved, but here there is is joy. We are joined together, not with with angels who are, are there for judgment, but we are there with angels who are celebrating and we, the people of God, are celebrating 
and joyful and have hope. But look at the end of verse 23 where it says, or the middle of verse 23, that we have come to God, the judge of all. God doesn't change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. So the God that we have come to here is the exact same God that came down in his presence to Sinai and where his presence was so great and so terrible that anyone who even approached had to be stoned. It's the same God. God hasn't changed. So why? Why are we able to approach him here where they at Sinai could not? Verse 24 answers that for us. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We, without the blood of Jesus, without Jesus and his mediating to us a new covenant in his blood, would be in the same situation as the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. But because of Jesus and what he has done, remember what Hebrews said, that we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And that's not because of anything that we can do or we have done. It's not even because of the the spirits of the righteous that came before us. It is only because of Jesus the one who who stepped in the gap for us and had no sin of his own to pay for, so he paid for our sin by shedding his blood on the cross. When it says we have come to the the sprinkled blood, sprinkled blood was something in the old covenant. If you were sprinkled with blood, that was a sign of purity. That was a sign of purification. And this blood that is sprinkled it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain. And the Bible tells us that that blood cried out for vengeance. Jesus' blood does not cry out for vengeance. Jesus' blood gives forgiveness. Not vengeance. It gives forgiveness and restoration and membership into the kingdom of God and into God's family. A quick point of application for us is that the gospel is good news. This is great news that we can be a part of this new covenant kingdom, not that old covenant kingdom. The gospel is good news that we can be in the family of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And church, I know that around the world right now, we may not have experienced it right now, Personally, but our faith, the gospel, is made to seem like it is not good news by the world around us. But church, let me assure you, it is good news. Do not be ashamed of this gospel. This gospel is the only way that each and every person who has ever walked this earth can have a relationship, a restored relationship with their God and Father who created them. This gospel is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins and washed clean and made pure. It is the only way that we can join those who are those made righteous and those whose spirits have been made perfect 
in heaven right now. It is good news that we have been offered eternal life because Jesus gave up his life for us. We should not be ashamed of this gospel. Do not be ashamed of it. Why should we be ashamed of the thing that tells us in Romans 8, 1, there is, now for, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, proclaim this gospel. Proclaim this gospel. It is good news, and it is the only news that saves. Well, the last section of our text is the final warning and the shaking of all things. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him and warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Remember those at Mount Sinai, even though they experienced all of those things, even though they received the covenant, they rejected God and each and every one of them died in the wilderness. And God gave those promises to the next generation instead. If that's what they received, how much more should we be careful to not reject the one who speaks from heaven? Jesus, who came from heaven, who gives us this gospel message. See that we do not refuse him. And brings us to our next application is that we ignore the gospel at our own peril. We ignore the gospel at our own peril. Yes, the gospel is amazing and great news for those who accept it and cast themselves fully on Jesus in surrender and repentance and who follow him and trust in him no matter what comes, but for those who reject it, If we reject the message of the gospel, we are condemned already. If we reject the message that Jesus died, paying for our sins and rose again, ascended to heaven and is one day coming back, if we reject that, then we are doomed. And we will not be in the heavenly assembly. We will not be with the spirit made perfect but we will be cast away from the presence of God forever in hell. Do not ignore the gospel. Listen to the gospel. Hear it, receive it, and respond to it with faith and repentance. Cast yourself fully on Jesus. It says at that time his voice shook the earth But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This is actually the the quote that he says here, yet once more, well, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens, is referring to to Haggai, uh, chapter 2, verse Six. What's interesting about that, when we think of the shaking of all things and the removal of all things, that's, 
That's talking about the end of this creation where God and Jesus comes back and, and the old creation is rolled up like a scroll and then the new creation comes. And if we just think about the book of Revelation, we can think about all the, the terrible things that will happen in there. But here, this is a message of encouragement. And in, in Haggai, there was also a message of encouragement. So we should be not in terror when we think about the end and the shaking of all things that have been made, but we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged because the things that cannot be shaken may remain. We should be encouraged because we have received this unshakable kingdom, the kingdom brought to earth by Jesus. We have received promises that will not ever fade away. Our faith should be in Jesus and in the one who will never fade. Our faith should be in the promises that will never go away. And so we need to, as the text says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that should not be shaken. We need to be grateful for what lasts. We need to be grateful for the great promise of the gospel that we have been given. And we need to have our faith in that, in Jesus, and in Jesus alone. Guys, a lot of us may or may not be here when the earth is rolled up like a scroll and the end comes. We may be here. It may happen in just a few minutes. But we may not be. You know, each and every one of us will go through things where our lives around us will be shaken. What is our faith in when that shaking comes? If tomorrow we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor where we find out that our body that we live in is completely failing us, do we despair or is our hope still in Jesus? If tomorrow this nation that we live in completely and totally is dissolved and something far more oppressive and awful comes in, are we in despair? Or are we still trusting in the nation and the kingdom that will never fade and never end? And are we still trusting in that king, King Jesus? If the sun doesn't rise tomorrow, remember it says the, the earth and the heavens is going to be shaken. If the sun, the thing that we can pretty much trust on to rise every single day, if that chooses not to rise, where is our faith? We need to be grateful that we have received a faith, that we have received a kingdom that can outlast all of creation and that will last in to eternity. Our text closes that we should be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, but we should also, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We must remember that Again, the God of Mount Sinai is the exact same God that we serve today. God is holy. God is righteous. 
And again, without anyone to stand in the gap before us, you and I would be completely unmade at the full revelation of his glory and his might. The only reason that we can stand and we are encouraged to come to God, the judge of all, is because of Jesus. But let us remember that God is still far and above us. And so when we come to him in worship, when we come to him in prayer, when we open up his word, our posture should be one of humility, knowing that the only reason that we can do so is because of Jesus and what he has done for us. We must worship our God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray.